In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. A few years ago when we lived at the beach, there were some mornings when I got up, particularly on Sundays because I would leave so early for church, that the fog was so thick that I either had to wait or I had to pray. I had to turn my brights on and inch forward slowly, carefully, unable to see more than a foot or two in front of me. And when you're driving in fog like that, you have to be very careful. You have to be alert. It's impossible to know really where you are. Um, you have to keep an eye out for people and cars and animals to sort of pop out of the fog all of a sudden. And unless you really have some landmarks and know where you are, it's hard to find your way through it. But on those mornings, if I waited and the fog didn't disappear, I would inch forward very carefully because I knew where I needed to go. And I could trust that if I was careful, if I watched and listened, if I trusted what I knew and where I knew I was, then the next little couple of inches would slowly be revealed. And eventually I'd find my way through that thick fog away from the beach and into town, into the bright light of day, into a world that looked entirely different and entirely transformed, that was bathed in sunshine, like some kind of alternate universe. Whenever I hear this story about Abraham and about him sitting outside his tent in the heat of the day, I wonder what he saw. And I wonder if there was a thick, heavy haze in the air from that heat. You know, when, when heat sort of distorts things and things that look like they're standing up straight all of a sudden have some waves to them. And this is a part of the world, after all, where the heat is thick like that, often thick like fog, and it blurs everything around us. And so out of this haze, three men suddenly appear, standing next to Abraham. And they've come to tell Abraham and Sarah good news. But Abraham doesn't know that yet. He just knows that in the middle of the heat, these men, these messengers appeared. And he does what any good host, any faithful person would do. He welcomes the strangers. And he and Sarah begin preparing them a feast. This is what Abraham knows how to do. These are his landmarks. His culture and his faith have taught him how to take those first few steps, the first few turns in the road, even though he doesn't know why they're here. And I wonder too when it was he realized that they were messengers from God. Somehow it seems like he knew pretty quickly. And after they ate, they tell Abraham some interesting news, that Sarah will have a child, even though she's well past that time in her life. And we don't really hear much about Abraham's response, but quite a big deal is made of Sarah's. Now, most of the time when I hear this story, it's portrayed like a happy, joyful laugh. Sarah laughs joyfully because of the good news. And I have to believe that that actually probably wasn't true. Because for Sarah, the fact that she had never had a child was deeply painful. And she had no reason to believe these three men. In fact, according to the text, I'm not even sure she has seen them yet. She's only heard them. So it seems unlikely to me that this would have been a happy laugh. This was instead the laugh of disbelief, the laugh maybe even of a cynic, the laugh of sarcasm, maybe an incredulous laugh tinged with pain and a perfectly reasonable refusal to believe. Honestly, I don't blame her. Which one of us would just believe someone if they turned up on our doorstep and told us good news about something that hurts us, 
when all evidence points to the contrary? Which one of us, when we are really in agony, can just instantly take in good news and believe that it's true just because someone said so? And yet, for Sarah, this dream does come true, despite the odds and all the impossibilities. And she and Abraham make their way through the heat and through the haze, through many more challenges with God. And eventually, because they are faithful, because they go one step at a time, inching forward, alert, wanting to follow God, they find themselves in a place transformed, transformed in part by their faith and by this covenant that they made with God, which literally changes the whole world around them. Even though they had no idea that that's really what they were doing, they were just inching forward a little bit at a time with God. And because of that inching forward, the legacy of their faith is tremendous. That legacy even leads ultimately to us. And much of that legacy, even with incredulous laughter, was the journey of two people moving one step at a time, one decision at a time, trying to be faithful, as faithful as they could in the midst of the haze of the world. And to be sure, scripture tells us that they don't always get it right, <laughs> but they return to God over and over and over again, even when they've gotten something wrong, and learn to be able to trust in God's surprising love. In our gospel text this morning, we hear a bit about the 12 disciples. And if we know a little bit more about them than actually is in the text, then we know that they're an interesting bunch. They're fishermen mostly. A tax collector named Matthew is particularly notable for us. Thomas, who would doubt? Peter, who would deny Jesus? And Judas, who would betray him? None of the 12 impressive by any stretch. Jesus didn't go around picking the best and the brightest. He picked 12 people who were just people, imperfect, normal people. And in this passage, Jesus sends them out to go and do his work, knowing that someday soon he will leave them and they will need this muscle memory. They will need to remember what it's like to strike out and inch forward and rely on their faith and return to his teachings as they make tough decisions, as they learn, as they get better at not only being disciples, people who follow, but as they learn after Jesus leaves to be apostles, people who are sent, messengers with good news. I imagine that for the 12, the fog was especially thick when Jesus ascended and went back to God. Just imagine for a minute what it must have been like for them. They know that they have been left behind to change the world, to spread the kingdom of God, to tell the story of Jesus. They have literally the most important job ever. And yet we know from the book of Acts that they had absolutely no idea what to do. And that story in Acts shows us a group of believers who become, because of their faith, one body, one team, one community, eventually one people with all the believers who follow Jesus on the way of love. And they had a giant impossible task. Jesus seems to promise them before he leaves that it will be possible and that they will know what to do. But as we read the story in scripture, it's very clear that they did not feel that way. They did not always know what to do and they did not always get it right. And all they could do like Abraham and Sarah was inch forward, bit by bit, watching and waiting and learning, trying to figure out what the best next step was, returning over and over to Jesus and to love and to try to get it right the next time. And it's important for us to remember that none of these 12 
these original 12 disciples were great students or great orators or wise men or politicians or leaders. None of them had great wealth or skills or really much to offer to the world around them that would have made them stand out. They were in many ways imperfect, normal human beings, just like you and me. But their faith and their desire to share the good news changed the whole world. Not because there was something so special about them, but because there is something special about God and about God's good news, about God's dream of justice and fulfillment for all people. And there was something special as they learned to move and live and love together and to understand themselves as one flock and one people, no longer individuals, but one body, putting the needs of the other and particularly of the vulnerable or the wounded ahead of the needs of the strong, the healthy and the privileged. These last few weeks, I have felt like we are in a fog waiting for news, waiting for messengers, waiting for signs. And for me, some of this is about this virus, about these last four months of careful decisions of one next step at a time, the fog of wondering and of waiting what will happen next, particularly now as we watch case numbers begin to rise across the country. We continue to have a responsibility to keep to each other and to keep the most vulnerable among us safe. And for me, some of this fog is also about this moment in our country, about the agony of our brothers and sisters of color, and our responsibility to see that this agony ends. Again, our responsibility to each other, to justice and to fairness. Our belief that all people are made in the image of God and thus deserve equal dignity and equal respect. And as I look around, it seems to me that the fog is very thick that some of the problems we're facing are so big and so heavy. And I know from some of the conversations that I've had with you over the last several weeks that it's hard to know what one person can do. But the thing is, if you are baptized and if you want to follow Jesus on this way of love, if you claim this faith as your life and your heritage, then you are not just one person. You are part of a much greater whole, a whole that has a legacy, that has power, and that has a dream. In Paul's writing this morning, we hear again the good news that Jesus died for us even though we are sinners, even though we are imperfect, even though like the disciples, we are going to get it wrong sometimes, even though like Sarah, we might laugh in disbelief, even pained disbelief, depending on where we stand. Even though like Abraham, we might not always live up to the ideals that we proclaim. Because of what Jesus does for us, love has been poured into our hearts, love from the Holy Spirit that can transform the whole world around us. Even though we might not be able to see more than just the one step in front of us, if we rely on what we know, on our faith, on the turns and the landmarks we've memorized, on the rituals and the prayer and the relationships we've built together and with God, if we inch forward willing to learn and waiting for direction, it will come. And this is what we are doing together, one step at a time, as one community. For nothing is impossible with God, and nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. God consistently takes normal, broken people and uses them to do remarkable things. God consistently takes painful, broken situations and invites us to be part of shining the light of love. 
ours is a God whose light shines in the darkness, who brings goodness out of suffering, who turns mourning into dancing, who sows love in the midst of hate. And the ancestors of our faith, of our faith despite their flaws and often because of their humanity, brought not only themselves, but us into the light with only their faith, their love of God, and their love of the stranger to guide them. Their desire to transform the world and to spread the kingdom, to teach kindness and love mercy and build justice. So I ask you this morning, what will be the legacy of your faith? How will you contribute to transforming the world around you? What is the next step, even if you are only inching forward, that you can take in love that will bring all of us more into the light? Turn on the bright light of love. Inch forward in faith. Watch, learn, listen, and then choose love again. Amen.